Okay, hello everyone and welcome to Actus Radio, the nation's only radio program dedicated to the clinical documentation improvement profession. Actus Radio is a bi-weekly program dedicated to bringing you closer to the difference makers in the CDI and sharing the latest news and information relevant to the CDI profession and to Actus. Today, Wednesday, October 24th, marks our 108th program. So my name is Brian Murphy, Director of Actus, the Association of Clinical Documentation Improvement Specialists, and I'm your host for today's program, New GLIM, or GLIM, Malnutrition Criteria. I'm joined today by my famous co-host at left, Laurie Prescott. Uh, Laurie is an MSN, RN, CCDS, CDIP, and CRC, and is the CDI Education Director for us here at Actus in Middleton, Mass. Uh, Laurie's the developer and lead instructor for the Actus Bootcamp line and a subject matter expert, as well as member of our advisory board. See her background there, and I'm very pleased to have her back on the show. So uh, welcome, Laurie. Thanks, Brian. I'm happy to be here. All right. And we also have a industry guest on today that I'm sure many of you uh, recognize. We have with us today Richard Pinson. Uh, MD, FACP, and CCS. Richard is principal of Pinson and Tang and is based in Chattanooga, Tennessee. After graduating from Vanderbilt University School of Medicine in Nashville, he completed his residency and fellowship at Vanderbilt and the University of Pennsylvania. Richard's a fellow of the American College of Physicians, board certified in both internal medicine and emergency medicine, and is a certified coding specialist. Um, you might recognize Richard as the co-author of our CDI Pocket Guide, as well as our Outpatient CDI Pocket Guide. He's also a regular columnist for the Coding Corner column for um, American College of Physicians Hospitalist Magazine, and I'm very pleased to have him back on Actus Radio. So welcome, Richard. Hi, Brian and uh, Laurie. I really appreciate uh, being invited. As always, looking forward to this. Absolutely. All right. Well, let's get started with a poll question related to today's topic. Question reads, have you heard of the new GLIM or GLIM definition of malnutrition? Um, your options are yes, and we're planning to implement it. Yes, but we're considering it at this time. Yes, we've heard of that, but have not read it yet. No, this is the first we've heard of it. Actus Radio breaking news. Or don't know. Again, have you heard of the new GLIM definition of malnutrition? Your options are yes, and you're planning to implement it full speed ahead. Yes, uh, but considering it at this time, Maybe you've just heard of it, but haven't had a chance to read any of the literature yet. No, first we've heard of it, or uh, don't know. All right, we're gonna, um, we've got about 80% of our audience voting. We've got uh, close to 600 folks dialed in to the platform here. So um, I'm gonna go ahead and close this poll out and we will return to the results in uh, just a few minutes. Oop. All right, well, as I mentioned today, our guest is Richard Pinson. Richard, welcome to the program and thanks for being a part of Actus Radio. Um, 
you know, let's just start with the with the basics here for those brand new to the GLIM criteria, and we'll see what the poll results bear out. But can you give us some background, including uh, just what GLIM stands for and, and who is the new group behind uh, this new malnutrition criteria? Sure, Brian. I'd be happy to do that. Um, the uh, Global Leadership Initiative on Malnutrition, GLIM, uh, or GLIM, uh, was convened with the goal of reaching a worldwide consensus on diagnostic criteria for malnutrition. You know, the Aspen criteria apply only here in the United States. There's no worldwide uh, consensus. Uh, and this included uh, representatives from uh, Aspen in the U.S., European Society of Clinical Nutrition and Metabolism, the Latin American Nutritional uh, Federation and the Parenteral and Enteral, that's a mouthful, Nutrition Society of Asia. So <laughs> you can see this covered a broad geographic area and large population uh, throughout the world. Uh, there was a free publication version released online September 2nd, uh, and it will soon appear in the Journal of Parenteral and Enteral Nutrition from Aspen. I think it will be in November's issue. All right. So truly global. That's where the G comes from in, in, in GLIM. Gotcha. Yes, sir. The point to cover the whole world uh, with a uniform definition. The right. whole world. <laughs> Can you... Richard, can you talk a bit about what the criteria are? Um, and looking at it, I see that uh, it's pretty specific in that it includes three phenotypic criteria and two etiologic criteria for diagnosing malnutrition, as well as it offers us guidelines for severity. How does that all come together? Uh, yes, certainly, Lori. I uh, hope I can do that for the audience. Uh, on our uh, first slide, uh, you'll see you're exactly right about the uh, three phenotypic and the two etiologic criteria. Um, the diagnosis of malnutrition, according to GLIM, requires at least one phenotypic criterion, that's findings, and at least one etiologic criterion, that's cause. Uh, I want to comment specifically just about a few things here. Uh, since the audience can see this, and these things are pretty self-evident. Um, looking at slide two, uh, I think the BMI criteria stand out right away. They uh, obviously, obviously may not work in the U.S. when the CDC definition of normal is 18.5 to 24.9. It's really going to be hard to justify a diagnosis of malnutrition in this country unless the BMI is below 18.5. So that is one problematic area I think will have to be uh, dealt with. Uh, the reduced muscle mass criterion really wisely, I think, uh, requires precise objective measurement, which is something that has been a little bit lacking uh, in any criterion, uh, and GLIM recommends using some very highly accurate uh, technology 
to measure muscle mass like DEXA, bioelectrical impedance, ultrasound, CT, MRI. I didn't know all those things could be used to measure muscle mass, but apparently so. But uh, these these things are costly and impractical. So GLIM does uh, offer as an alternative uh, that calf or arm circumference plus physical exam findings uh, may be used along with that calibrated hand grip strength uh, that I think people know about, that device that measures hand grip strength to assess the muscle mass. And there are some pretty good uh, objective parameters for circumference and hand grip uh, strength. Uh, the next slide shows the two etiologic criteria. And uh, it looks to me as if a lot of patients are going to meet the reduced nutrition intake requirements. Uh, so I think that means that the limiting factor for diagnosing malnutrition is going to be the phenotypic criteria. We may have a lot of people who meet an etiologic requirement but won't necessarily meet the phenotypic criteria, assuming mm -hmm. we do something about that. BMI. The uh, inflammation criterion, oh my goodness, especially in the acute setting, this is a very valuable, much needed provision that we haven't had. Uh, it really reflects current research that shows the central role that systemic inflammation plays in the development of malnutrition. I'm not sure how much people are aware of that, but uh, that's well recognized today. And Biomarkers are recommended by GLIM uh, to confirm the chronic or severe systemic inflammation, not so much as a, uh, you know, a phenotypic manifestation, but as confirming the cause as inflammation. So it's sort of a different role that biomarkers are well known to uh, actually measure. So. Uh, I think that's the appropriate use uh, for these things. Mm -hmm. And then, interesting. Yeah, I think it is, isn't it? Mm -hmm. uh, the preferred the preferred test, uh, Lori, is the C-reactive protein. I think we know we've seen that before in many areas, such as in the SERS criteria. Mm -hmm. But uh, I tell you what's surprising: low albumin and pre-albumin make a reappearance in this context because they're also included as markers of systemic inflammation. Ah, so, I did not know that. You, what goes around comes around, huh? Mm-hmm. So, uh, and then again, I think that GLIM uh, doesn't mention this specifically, but it seems to me that uh, if you have two or more of the SERS criteria, that would certainly be applicable because that's a definition of systemic uh, inflammation. So I think that's another tool that would be valid. Um, I'd like to talk about severity now, if I may. Yep, absolutely. Um, uh, GLIM identifies two levels of severity. There's a stage one or moderate. There's also stage two severe. Only the phenotypic criteria are used uh, for uh, severity, and uh, you need to have at least one. Uh, again, you know, that BMI is going to be somewhat problematic uh, 
uh, in this situation. Uh, next slide, Brian, shows severe malnutrition stage two. Same sort of uh, format, different measures. These are all pretty objective and very uh, consistent with concepts of what malnutrition should uh, be. Um, I do believe that if GLIM is going to be used in this country, we will have to have some kind of widely agreed upon uh, clinical modification for BMI, if you will. Just like ICD-9 and 10, we have clinical modification to account for our unique circumstances uh, here in this country. And if anybody asked me, uh, I would recommend that a BMI uh, less than 18.5 for um, moderate or stage one and less than 16 for severe stage two uh, to be consistent with uh, our reasonable clinical experience, expectations, compliance expectations here in this uh, country. Gotcha. Well, Richard, really appreciate you sharing the slides and all the criteria and the severity here. This is uh, uh, very beneficial for those that are listening. Maybe we can post these slides, Richard, with your permission, uh, with, with the show afterwards, the show notes. Um, sure. Of course, they'll be available for those that want to view the program again. But I, I was curious, Richard, do these new criteria you've just outlined, do they supplant, you know, the, the familiar Aspen Academy malnutrition criteria that many hospitals have been using. Is this in addition to, or is this, again, does this replace because this is global? Could you talk a little bit about that? Um, sure, Brian. Uh, I, I probably ought to preface it by saying that uh, even though, uh, you know, the world's four largest nutrition excuse me, societies participated and reached a consensus here, it it's not yet had time to be endorsed by any of them. And so we're really waiting for endorsements uh, before it will sort of become a standard. Um, but more to your point, the uh, definition and criteria uh, are so much different uh, and conflicting that uh, Aspen and GLIM seem incompatible with one another to me, and uh, one or the other should eventually uh, prevail. Uh, so it's certainly not going to be a supplement, I don't think. And what Aspen and, and the Academy of Nutrition decide here will probably be definitive in the U.S., at least for a while. Uh, on the other hand, you know, if the rest of the world adopts this, then sticking with 2012 Aspen criteria uh, may really become untenable. Gotcha. Yeah. Thanks, Richard. What do you think? So, as, yeah, well, as you talk about the two different sets of criteria and competing criteria, I'm imagining the faces of those out there listening that deal with um, payer denials and auditors. Do you expect that um, payers and auditors are going to start to use this criteria? I, I think that's what most of us in the CDI community are likely a little concerned about, that they're going to jump on this before it's really well established or consistently used in the United States. Right, I can see that, and that's a really good question. Uh, 
I think at this point it's hard to predict that. Uh, uh, from my experience, these auditors often use non-specific arbitrary criteria anyway all along. Uh, I don't think Glenn will change their approach. <laughs> so uh, um, they haven't even acknowledged Aspen and uh, deny claims even when Aspen's uh, clearly met. Uh, could they see Glim as a better opportunity to successfully recover money? I really don't know. Who knows? Uh, but I don't, you know, right now foresee a sudden change in their approach. I think if it's adopted worldwide in here, then, well, yes, this ought to become the standard because this is a very good one, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I All appreciate right. that. I, I... I agree with you. You know, my last question, Richard, was about if someone's listening to the program might want to consider a, adopting. But maybe, you know, given the time we've got and the fact that these are so new, um, that there's going to be needs to be consensus and uh, more discussion before widespread adoption. Maybe you could actually we could switch gears and talk a little bit about any any documentation and coding challenges that you see with these new criteria? Yeah, sure. I, I think there are a couple of points to be made about that, Brian, um, but just a few, because a lot like Aspen, you know, you can see that Glim only identifies moderate and severe malnutrition. So we've actually been dealing with that for a while. And uh, coding of mild or moderate is just going to depend on what providers choose, uh, or maybe nutritionists. And I think nutritionists will pick the term moderate uh, for stage one, so we may not see mild much. But as far as the DRG assignment's concerned, uh, the distinction between mild and moderate doesn't have any impact because both of those are CCs. So I think that's the first point. The second one is a little more difficult. Stages are not indexed by ICD-10 for malnutrition. And so if we don't have mild, moderate, or severe documented, uh, a query might be necessary. On the other hand, um, stage could simply be assigned, stage one especially, could be assigned as unspecified nutrition uh, under the ICT, ICD-10 indexing, uh, just uh, like mild and moderate and specified as a CC. The problem will be if we have stage two, that would have to be clarified as severe malnutrition, so the its MCC status can uh, be captured. So I'm hoping that if GLIM is widely endorsed, that ICD-10 uh, will include it, will include stage one and two for it. Maybe coding clinic, uh, when that happens, could clarify how to assign those correctly. Uh, they've done that before. And I know that the GLIM group is already working with the international ICD-10 uh, committee to uh, to get these criteria incorporated appropriately. Interesting. So maybe some more to come here as we move forward with the revisions to the code set. 
All right. Right. Well, great stuff. And, uh, great stuff, Richard. Yeah. Sorry. I was just going to say quickly that uh, uh, for more information about this, you know, the 2019 CDI Pocket Guide is going to be available in just a few weeks from Actus. And there's a thorough thorough discussion of malnutrition comparing and contrasting glim, aspen, and traditional concepts of malnutrition, as you'd expect. That's great. I know that this book is currently being worked on. We're, we're getting really close to publication. So um, that's terrific to know that you were able to get this new uh, definition in, the, in that book for consideration. All right. So appreciate that, Richard. This was a great first discussion on this uh, ever-changing criteria, and we'll, we will certainly keep our listeners posted if we do hear any updates on, on GLIM. Um, at this point, I do want to go back to our poll and share our poll results. You should be seeing that on your screen. Again, we asked, have you heard of the new GLIM definition of malnutrition? So uh, we can see by the results that this is very, very new for our listeners. So 3% said yes and planning to implement. Uh, 9% are, have seen it um, and are considering it. 15% have heard of it but have not read it yet. So only about 12% seem to have any degree of familiarity. 71% uh, by far our largest uh, majority here say no this is the first we've heard of it and another three percent don't know so three quarters of our audience haven't heard of it don't know about it um so obviously very new and not surprising i don't think but R richard what do you what do you think of these results anything here jump out at you uh yeah that's uh the fact that uh almost 25 percent have heard about it <laughs> i think is good I think at this point it's so recent it's only seven weeks old. Uh it'd be most people will not have heard of it. So this is uh uh very much consistent with what I'd expect. It really takes a while. Even Aspen, I think you remember, and sepsis three we're still dealing with all that percolating through the system. Right. But I'm I'm glad I'm glad that we uh, had this opportunity to introduce so many people to this, you know, because ACTUS is going to be crucial in getting the word out uh, to our CDI programs, and uh, maybe they'll communicate with nutrition services to make sure they know about it. Right. And sometimes we break the news on ACTUS radio, so I'm glad we were able to help with that. <laughs> <laughs> any any comments here, Laurie, before we move on to our, to our uh, in the news segment? Well, just exactly what um, Dr. Pinson was referring to just before he stopped talking was, you know, maybe with the little information we've provided you today, network with your um, nutrition department, speak to your dietitians and your nutritionists, see if they're planning to use this in their assessments and, you know, promote some consistency within your organization to make sure that everybody's using the same terms when they're speaking to physicians because that's so crucial. To make sure you're getting that consistent documentation so i would say you know move it forward and start talking to the people within your facility about it those are really good points lori yes absolutely yep. Great. be the activists here <laughs> yeah keep an eye keep an eye on this endorsement to business by aspen and the academy of nutrition that's going to really be exactly. 
a big deal. Yep. All right. Okay, well, at this point, I do want to switch over to our In the News segment. Again, In the News is a regular segment featuring the latest news and industry updates relevant to the CDI profession. Richard, you referred uh, a few minutes ago to sepsis three criteria. So today I want to discuss mm -hmm. an important news story related to uh, the new sepsis three or new-ish sepsis three criteria. Um, so what you should be seeing on your screen is a network bulletin from the nation's largest private insurer, United Healthcare or UHC. So UHC is planning to begin to use sepsis three criteria to clinically validate sepsis claims. This is their October 18th network bulletin. Um, I'm going to post a link to this bulletin after the program in the notes, uh, the show notes on actus.org. But uh, if you take a scroll through the table of contents, you will see here on the front and center page, they have a link to um, United Healthcare adopts third international consensus definitions for sepsis and septic shock or sepsis three. Um, and there's links to uh, a full um, a full story here with some of the reasoning behind it and what it might mean for hospitals submitting claims. But just to summarize briefly here, uh, UHC is planning to implement a review process to validate that sepsis was present and sepsis treatment services appropriately submitted as part of the member's claim. Hospital payments will be adjusted, says UHC, if after reviewing the member's medical record in sepsis 3, uh, that sepsis was not present and sepsis treatment services should not have been included as part of the member's claim. Um, adjusted means denied or downgraded, I'm assuming there. Uh, sepsis 3 will be used for all United Healthcare benefit plans. That includes commercial Medicare Advantage as well as Medicaid plans. Um, they do give, uh, I think, a helpful uh, summary of that criteria here. I think a lot of folks are probably familiar with this now, but if not, it is summarized here. And, you know, this is the, the big one that it's, it's how it's defined as a life-threatening organ dysfunction caused by a dysregulated host response to infection. Um, and they also give their rationale that their position on sepsis is that sepsis one and two lack sensitivity and specificity. Uh, they're based on systemic inflammatory response or SIRS criteria and SIRS does not necessarily indicate a dysregulated life-threatening response. That's here, that is the key criteria for sepsis three. They note that it's sepsis three is endorsed by 31 medical societies, provides the most clinically relevant definition. You know, what's, what's not outlined here, and this is the issue that we're all struggling with, um, is that sepsis three is, is, uh, differs from the CMS core measures. Even though the surviving sepsis campaign embraced the sepsis three criteria last year, CMS continues to use sepsis two for its SEP one bundle under the inpatient quality reporting program or IQR. Um, I've, there's also been concern expressed by many clinicians that the sepsis three criteria may lead to a slower physician response time for potentially septic and particularly pediatric sepsis patients, and they may not get the care they need at the very early onset of the condition. So just in summary here, this, this will be looked at by UHC starting January 1. If you have UHC as your payer, um, 
you, you really need to take a hard look at this. Hospitals will continue to be under greater pressure to adopt sepsis-3 um, for UHC while also juggling the administrative demands of reporting two sets of criteria, you know, for those, for the core measures. So more of a difficult position for hospitals, um, but I encourage you to check out this bulletin here. Wondering, Dr. Pinson, if you have any thoughts on this news? Um, uh, just that uh, I think it's expected and it's going to continue, uh, at least for a while, unless something changes with these criteria if we find out they're not as valid as believed. Uh, because, you know, Surviving Sepsis Campaign adopted this as the clinical authoritative standard. And so there's really no way to object to them doing this except to complain about having two standards. Uh, and <laughs> complain about whether it's going to hurt patient care, and uh, I don't think that's going to influence uh, anybody. We're going to have to wait for some outcomes. Although I should say, SERS criteria are actually a better uh, screening tool. There's an article published on this right. to do the full uh, sepsis 3 SOFA score than the quick SOFA. So they need to go ahead and look at sepsis 2. Uh, go ahead and start their severe sepsis bundle if they meet it, and then do the SOFA score and see if they meet that. So that is a strategy they can use to maintain some quality care. All right. Any any uh, last minute thoughts here, Laurie, on this on the bulletin? No, he pretty much summed up my thoughts completely. Well, Laurie, I didn't mean to steal your thunder. Let you <laughs> I'll, you know, next time we meet, I'll steal your thunder. So don't worry about it. Okay. All right. Thank you. All right. I'm going to wrap up here quickly. I know we're at the top of the hour. Just a brief Actus update. Um, just like to remind our listeners that Actus Radio is now available as a podcast. So. In addition to uh, listening to it like you probably are today on your computer, you can now download it to your favorite mobile device and listen to it on the go. Um, I use personally, I use the podcast app on my iPhone, listen to a lot of different podcasts. Won't get into all of those today on Actus Radio, but uh, if you go into your favorite podcast app, search for Actus Radio, you will find the show. Click subscribe, you'll get the shows uh, pushed right into your phone. I would encourage you to leave a review, preferably five-star, but lower if you think we, we're deserving. Um, that, that, that will help us in, uh, in the search function on that app. Um, so thanks for your support of the program. I also did want to just mention, you know, Richard, you alluded to it on the show. We are working um, feverishly to get the 2019 CDI Pocket Guide out that is available for pre-sale. So if you look at our homepage here and you click uh, store. This will take you to our CDI Marketplace store where you can purchase the 2019 CDI Pocket Guide that is coming out very soon and again has a lot of updates, um, not limited to the new GLIM criteria, but many others as well. Okay, well, that is going to act do it for today's edition of Actus Radio. Um, you know, we're actually going to be out. Uh, two weeks from today will be the normal cadence for our next show, but we're all going to be out of the office at the Actus Symposium, uh, the outpatient, uh, outpatient CDI program. That's in two weeks in Orlando. 
So instead, we're going to see you back here in three weeks for our next program, Wednesday, November 14th, for a little different show, uh, interesting, um, building your personal brand as it relates to CDI. Hope you can make it back for this program with a, 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 a guest I'm looking forward to having. Uh, as always, if you have any suggestions for future guests, ideas about the format of the show, I encourage that type of feedback. I would love to hear from you. You can reach me at bmurphy at actus.org. That will do it for Actus Radio today. Thank you, Richard and Laurie, and we'll see you all back here in three weeks. Take care, everyone. Bye-bye.